This episode of Nerd Cognito is brought to you by Fanatical. Hey, Fanatical is an amazing marketplace where you can get all sorts of video games and electronic digital content at not so outrageous prices. And right now, this week, they're having their incredible $1 sale. And it's on RPGs. Go to nerdcognito.com and click on the Fanatical link. You'll be sure to browse the collection and pick up a few super cool immersive RPGs for just a buck. What do you have to lose? That's nothing. So again, check out the link, head to nerdcognito.com, scroll down until you see the link to Fanatical and the dollar sale, and stock up on some bucko RPGs. Now, on with the show. Nerd Cognito. Another week, another Nerd Cognito. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Ryan David. I am joined by... Well, I'm not. I'm, Bert is off doing something in the woods that involves board games. So I am joined by guest co-host Eric Jensen of Wampus Country Blog. Eric! Welcome. Hey, Ryan. I am, Great to be here. I'm excited to talk to someone other than Bert. <laughs> well, I, I just want to promise the regular audience that I didn't do anything nefarious to Bert. I have no association with the woods. No, no, no. I, I, I really appreciate it. You know, earlier this week, I, uh, I I put out there that, hey, you know, Bert's not going to be there. And anyone that regularly listens knows we, we talked about it for a segment last week, sort of. We didn't talk about Bert. We talked about stuff to take on a vacation if you want, like, a gaming theme Sure. Uh, but no, I am thrilled that you took a moment out of your busy schedule to, to sit down and talk. I wasn't sure a couple of days ago that we were going to have a whole hell of a lot to talk about because things were, were calm. The, the the sparkle trolls were, were nestled cozily into their nests. There was really very little going on in the hobby. Mm-hmm. And wizards in typical wizard's fashion, decided to make a few changes. Tell us about those changes and tell us how fortunate we are to have that this this segment this week. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, Wizards pretty regularly puts their foot in it trying to uh, deal with the modern audience, but this one in particular is it's a Hadoozy. Oh. Was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the, I all the, waited all day for that. Uh, yeah, you had it written down. It was great. It is. Um, uh, how long has it been since Spelljammer launched? Oh, less than a month, I think. I, I was going to say, it, it's it's under Couple 30 weeks. days. And <laughs> we already have digital corrections and errata. Because, but it's good that they catch this stuff early, right? You don't want them to wait. Well, unfortunately... Well, I'll, I'll let you tell everybody it, it, it backfired. It further, we talked about it on the round table a couple of weeks ago, how there's not going to be any satiating these folks. And they further fragmented the two warring factions in what I guess they would consider their base now. And we, we've got even more infighting amongst those people. See how I said that so I can get emails? <laughs> I know you like your emails. I, I love <laughs> my emails. <laughs> and your random DMs. <laughs> they're, they're, they're fantastic when I don't have to forward <laughs> them to the FBI. 
Um, no, I apparently the Monkey Men. God, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. But the the winged monkey race, the Hadouzi, mm-hmm. are now being equated to a real world human ethnicity. And of course, that just can't fly. Now, but the Hadozi can. But, but the Hadozi, the, the Hadozi definitely can. <laughs> I, I, it, it boggles the mind because, oh, it's racist! It's racist! It's racist! No, making this change is acknowledging that someone in the organization or in the fan base wants the connection between flying monkeys and whatever humans. I, I don't hate because people are whatever they are. I hate because they're dumb fucks. And, <laughs> like, we're coming out smelling like roses on this one because for someone to even conceptualize the connection of one to the other, just like with orcs in the past, right? it, it, it just shines a spotlight on their inherent bias. I think this one has a few more layers to it than the standard orc thing. Well, tell me about it. Cause I, when you said, you know, I'm going to look at this, I, I didn't brush up. Uh, All right, so, yeah. <laughs> I've been shying away because <laughs> I want to not get suspended on Twitter. Sure. Sure. No, understandable. So I did spend some time poking around in the, the bowels of Twitter just to see what people were saying above and beyond the stuff that had crawled into my feed. Right. So for folks who aren't following all this, um, because you have things to do or you're actually gaming or you're sane, uh, <laughs> all those things wrapped together. So Watsi has received this criticism, right? for the stack of perceived racist tropes surrounding the most recent version, the 5e presentation of this Hadozi or Hadozi species, right? And so then they issued an apology and some edits in D&D Beyond. And the whole thing has, like you said, broken into warring camps, right? Where you've got some people that are mad at Watsi for the perception of racism, and then you have some people who are mad at Watsi because they caved to woke pressure or whatever and had their apology, um, and then there are also people that are mad that they're finally realizing that their digital product can be altered at any time against their will. So there's that side too. I think that they're the most interesting group in this entire kerfuffle because um, I, are they just now realizing this? Like, are, are they awakening? Because they're a segment, a large segment of their group were rattling sabers to make changes to lore in the past. Right. How do you think that that change gets accomplished in a sad to say, digital world. They change your shit. (laughs) True. But the one thing that Wizards can't do without changing its staffing is appease people that think that these changes should be overseen by people of color, sensitivity readers, that sort of thing, right? So if your construct is that Wizards does bad and continues to apologize for doing bad, oh, they can't keep getting away with it, then this apology doesn't actually fix anything. No, this apology is just about as shallow as any corporate politically correct apology is. And again, there, there's this disconnect in the folks that were calling for it to, to recognize that they're really just throwing anything against the wall, seeing what sticks and hoping that they come out without the need for a shower. But we, Absolutely. we know yeah, that, and that, that a- doesn't happen. <laughs> Well, in that apology, they, they did take some time to kind of blame TSR in a really weird way because all this stuff that was causing offense is 5e Watsi-generated stuff. Absolutely. Right? So this playable species has been around since 1982 in its original form. It was in Star Frontiers as the Yazirians, right, who are these strong-willed warriors 
that could glide on their wing flaps or right. whatever, right? They're squirrel Klingons. Very cool. Berserker stuff. They were great. By the time we get to Spelljammer in AD&D 2nd Edition, the Hadozi are included, or the Yuzerians are turned into the Hadozi and included as like an Easter egg and, alongside a bunch of other Star Frontiers. Right. I actually pulled my vintage book out and, and did look up that section because yep. I wanted to, to see. And I'm like, lot, yeah. Wow, they they created. I'll let you go. I'll let you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people are doing the compare and contrast, right? Like, let's go through because these guys have existed in a couple different editions, right? So, in, in the original Spelljammer, the Hadozi are again these simian squirrel dudes, right? Who are dedicated explorers, right? Their whole shtick is that they want to get out there and see the universe, so they sign on to Spelljamming ships. That's why they're everywhere, right? Right? They have an inherent need to see what's out there is what I right. sort of perceived. And I'm like, oh. which is perfect for that sort of game, right? right. Um, Absolutely. Well, that sort of game. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, we're, we're somewhere different now. We so sure they, are. They, <laughs> they came back in uh third edition or 3.5 in storm rack, which was like the maritime supplement sort of re-envisioned as, as a planet bound, you know, sea pirate version rather than, than space, but it was still the same, same slant to the species, right? They wanted to explore. They like to sign on to ships and do all that kind of stuff. Sure, it wasn't they just until, weren't piloting yeah. through space. Gotcha. Right, yeah, same gimmick, because we didn't have Spelljammer in, in third ed. So then we fast forward to today, or a couple of weeks ago, with 5e. <laughs> and, and Wizards breaks kayfabe and says, no, 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 right. no, 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 no. <laughs> well, I mean, they added stuff to the lore, trying to kind of plus up the species. That's all good intent. But the things that they added are the same, or the identical things that folks are seeing as problematic. So it breaks down to two things written in the lore, and then one thing in the art, right? And just to, to reiterate, these are all 5e things. It's not the stuff that's replicated from previous editions. All right, so, so hit me with the two biggies. Okay, so so just as a preface, I want to start by noting, in my survey of Twitter, almost nobody is complaining simply because the Hadozi are simians. Which, okay? that, on that the surface, should be, in my in when I try to step into that set of ladies' underwear... I, I would think that that would be at the top of my list. Well, I mean, I think everybody understands at some level that animal-inspired species are part of fantasy, they're part of science fiction, um, and the objections are more about how the lore and the art layer over top of that. Okay, I'm right? taking so the panties the, the, off. I'm completely wrong. I'm ready to go. Well, that, that's <laughs> just my observation, right? So that the, the, the things are bad, but they're made worse by the fact that it's a simian species. That's just my perception from what I've read. But I do think that some of the stuff would have been called out by some people, even if the Hadozi had been, you know, giraffe people or not animal people at all. Sure. Okay. So the first problem in the lore, the new lore, is the addition that the Hadozi were magically uplifted from an animal species, right? A okay. wizard did it. Okay. Because that's how we do uplift in D&D. So a wizard did it. And that new backstory has the species being magically engineered by this wizard, gifted intelligence, the ability to speak, in order to enslave them. Okay, and my reaction okay. is so? Okay, so, I mean, <laughs> you've got standard historical tropes here, standard pulp tropes, and we do get a slave uprising in the lore. Okay. Right. However, if you're particularly sensitive to this stuff, you don't want to see any slavery stuff mentioned. No anywhere. shackled monkeys right. on my island. Right, so so that's that's sort of one layer to the, uh, the beautiful baklava that we're building here. The, the second part is that now that the Hadozi are a free species out and about, they are described as being treated as second-class citizens by both the elves and maybe other people that they work for out in space. Right, because the so, elves don't look down their noses at anyone. 
Right. Well, and Spelljammer <laughs> elves in particular are complete a-holes. Like right. that's that's in the lore, uh, you know, and they fought a whole war on it and that kind of stuff. But the interesting thing is the Hadozi are presented as they're not equals. Nobody sees them as equals, but man, they sure do like to work. That's in the lore. They're happy workers, <laughs> right? And so that <laughs> combined with the other stuff starts to generate the problem. That's that's the lore chunk. You've got this shiny new backstory with uh, a nice blend of wizard colonialism, magical species uplift, slavery, and then a post-slavery underclass who remain inclined to hard labor. So I'm going to step away from the specific example right now. Does this yep. mean that moving forward, wizards would be incredibly trepidatious in using anything that identifies as a slave or as a creator sort of element because I, I'm hearing I this they would be. I, I you know I don't have anyone chained in my basement I I think that slavery is abhorrent but I also realize that it's a fucking fantasy game we're also right. you know we have giant brains with tentacles that are flying around so so well, uh, and, that, and that's the thing ah! that I think yeah you know, it being both in fantasy and in fiction and in history, the slavers are the bad guys. Sure. And I think there's general consensus on that. Instant free but, plot hooks, DMs. There you right. go. <laughs> right. So stepping beyond that, like, is that a word we can never use again in fiction? There's the art. So part of the kerfuffle is about the art. Now, the piece of art in contention is one of a Hadozi bard. Right? And I've seen this this particular piece. Right. He's wearing a little floppy pseudo-medieval hat. He's strumming a lute, and maybe he's dancing. He's got one foot up in the air holding an apple to demonstrate the uh, hand-like monkey toes that those species have, right? Okay. Some their mechanics, right? So that image is juxtaposed along two other static pictures of Hadozi of other classes, right? There's a warrior. There's maybe a thief or whatever. Sorry, Rogue. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, that's my own bias showing there. The problem is that some people think that image of the Hadozi bard bears a strong resemblance to old admittedly racist illustrations of black minstrelsy. Sure. And, okay. and again, even if it does, now, of course, if we could get a hold of the artist, that's just, just a horrible coincidence. I take four, Even right. if he says, no, yeah, Al Jolson was my inspiration. Mm -hmm. So what? Then what? Yeah. Right, right? I mean, I mean, so it's, a, it's a swipe from 100-year-old art. <laughs> I guess, but you know, when you look at the pictures side by side to some of the ones that, that folks are posting on Twitter, these minstrel pictures, there's definite similarities. But then I started to think, all right, if my art director says, draw a dude playing a lute and dancing, all right, how do I convey that they're dancing? I guess, I don't know, raise a foot. Right, like, raise well, a I, foot, I, I, raise I'm a not hand. an artist. I don't know how, right, there's a convergent evolution, right? All things go to crab, all things go to. I don't think all things go to minstrel shows. So, but <laughs> the point is that somebody should have caught it. Maybe I, I you know, but that's, that's the <laughs> for as progressive as the team at wizards wants yeah. to publicly portray. You're absolutely right. That, you know, right. if, if they are living the life that they are portraying, which I don't think that they all are. No, no. Um, it, it absolutely should have been caught. So that's when you say, Okay, our bad. Look, there are these things we want to state clearly. It is not X, Y, and Z. It is not a derivative of X, Y, and Z. But you don't change and, and effectively... I mean, I, I read what they've become. There's nothing there. There's, it, it, it's you know, they just trimmed those paragraphs yeah, out. It's yeah. winged monkey people without, without that history. 
So the, the interesting thing is, so you know, after that, the, the controversy bubbled up to a certain volume. They released that apology, right? And then they edited the D and D Beyond digital files, the lore, and pulled the art out of it. And presumably, future printings of Spelljammer Five E, if sales demand, <laughs> will have edits as well, right? They'll put in something new. But the thing that I found really interesting is that the Wizards' apology refers to the Hadozi as being from 1982, right? Which is not only misleading because it's not really the same species. It's a but it blatant to, lie to pass the right. buck. Yeah, but it seems to imply that you know Wizards are they're blaming any racist tropes on lingering. TSR awfulness or whatever, right? Instead and of looking internally. To be fair, uninformed sparkle trolls that were a jerk off in their dad's sock in 1982, that they'll eat it up and, and oh yeah, well that's how things were because things were terrible in the 80s. Kids went out and rode their bikes without parental supervision and no helmets. Um, well, the, yeah, the painful thing is you could have Jeff Grubb, who's pretty active on Twitter, and I haven't looked at his feed lately, come out and say something about, hey, here's what we were thinking when we did the Dozy in 1980-whatever-it-was, six, seven. Um, but none of the people complaining about this are going to see that because they don't follow any of the TSRP. No, and that would just be self-inflicted harm if someone yeah, like why, a Jeff why Grubb get involved? were involved. Right, yeah. right, at this point, right. yeah, I'm not tweeting about that. Let's talk about no. our new products, Everyday Heroes, right? Well, right. <laughs> Well, and, and it'll be the same with, with Watsy, right? Move on to the next product. It's interesting. They did the minimum amount of effort, apology and digital changes, right? Sometimes we see companies who get in trouble with stuff like this come out and say, we're going to hire X, Y, and Z, or we're going to do this new project, or we're going to donate this money to this cause. They haven't done any of that. No, no. Right? So from a, from a corporate point of view, it's bare minimum. Let's do the easiest and hope that it it gets quiet as everybody. No, 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 no. And that I think is going to ultimately, ultimately, ultimately be a Hasbro (laughs) decision, right? Not outside of the wizard's office. Hey, we want to throw the least we can at this. And again, it supports my theory that the sparkle troll segment is not as large as they portray themselves. They just have a very loud voice. So, you know, if we can appease this, this this loud segment, then all is good and we can move on because, you know, unfortunately for them, Spelljammer is looking to line up with the last five releases, which are not very positive in sales numbers. So Right. Well, the question is, so Hasbro will hear those sales numbers, but will they hear the controversy? No. Really? No. I don't, I don't think it'll rise to that scope. No. The, the team's going to say, oh, you know, they just didn't like it because it, it's a throwback to the past. And this is proof positive that we need to soldier on and blaze a new path forward. You know, I, I can just hear I, that I would love to, Yeah. I would love to be a fly on the wall. I mean, not as Renton Burns, but just to hear what Ray Winninger, who is ostensibly the business dude, has to say to Perkins and Crawford about all this stuff, right? Like, after the whole uproar over the Vistani stuff in in Ravenloft, I guess they didn't learn anything. I don't understand how this language in the new lore could have survived multiple layers of editors and developers, (laughs) given current stuff, right? Like, why didn't Perkins walk down to the bullpen and say, hey, guys, I see what you're doing with this. I get the sort of Planet of the Apes kind of illusion, totally get it, but you know what? But hey, look at this picture from 1920. (laughs) Right, well... But like, hey, maybe let's not do the slavery thing because it's not worth it. Right. Or whatever, strictly from a business standpoint. But I, I guess that doesn't happen because, I, I mean, I don't think there is a bullpen. No, right? I'm it's, wondering it's how Crawford autonomous. It's and Perkins and freelancers. And that's it. That's it. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, if someone comes to them with a great idea and is willing to be paid off just for the privilege of having the credit at the back of the book, they're not going to ever, you know, correct be consulted and, and, on something like this. And I'm content to believe that Perkins is completely overworked and, and is, is on God knows what trying to get everything done. And he doesn't see half this stuff. I would ask him, but he's blocked me on Twitter. So. He followed me for a while because we both had chihuahuas. <laughs> I don't know if he still follows me or not. Ah, uh, you know. Follow and read are different things. <laughs> Ryan blocked. That's news. Uh-oh. Yeah. I said news. Mm. Uh, I don't know uh, how regularly you get a chance to listen, but every week I torment Bert with what <laughs> is usually some pretty abysmal news of the week in gaming and nerd fandoms, just generally speaking. And you guys have an interesting friend dynamic. <laughs> it's your turn in the barrel. <laughs> I'm ready. Ah, uh, I, I, I want to start out with role-playing games because that's sort of your forte and focus. It's my wheelhouse. It, yep. it is. It is. And uh, I don't know if you were aware, but something that tickled the cockles of my cold black heart and brought up all sorts of nostalgia goodness has come to an unfortunate end. Uh, Tabletop role-playing studio Cortex has indefinitely paused development of the Masters of the Universe tabletop role-playing game. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was... I, I, were, were you a I big didn't realize guy? No, I, was, I think I'm a little... I was a little old for it. Um, okay. Or at least, at least the crowd, you know, the cool crowd I ran with in elementary school. Hey, you know. Not, it was you, perceived as that being... It, He-Man was a couple grades behind us, if that makes any sense. Ah, so you but, were a G.I. Joe snob. I see yeah, how it is. <laughs> well, not, not a snob. You know, in our house, I always had sort of a... a, a a motley crew of whatever action figure was on sale that week. So that, you know, jump started. I wasn't the house that had like the GI Joe plane. Right. And, and you know, like there was, that guy was down the street. I had like one Battlestar Galactic guy <laughs> and a snake eyes and, uh, and they had to team up. You know hey, hey, you know, so the, I think it did me some good. It, it sure did. It got the creative juices flowing. I, uh, I had a obscenely disgusting masters of the universe figure collection that lived at my parents' residence until about 10 years ago when they decided Ooh. to permanently move to Florida and said, come on over and tag everything that you don't want sold, and they proceeded to sell it for 20 bucks. Um, <laughs> thank right, God. So to get your mind off the, the, uh, the horribleness of losing that stuff, what, what, did, what did we know about they, what did we know they were going to do with the license? It was going to be another Cortex game, I presume. It was another Cortex game. Uh, it was originally slated for 2021, so it's already mm -hmm. been in right. the vortex, right? Um, and they're they're way behind the the IP bump on that. They are with, they are, with the new TV shows. Absolutely. So. Um, the only thing they have going for them are the old school collectors like me, because. Right. Um, Mattel has re-released the original figures, only mm -hmm. it's the same art style, same design, just more articulation and with modern production standards. So, gotcha. you know, I spend too much money monthly on He-Man as well, if if you talk to my wife and I'm sitting next to... Well, the a number greater than zero. <laughs> a, a, a large number greater than zero. So anyway, the, the game was spiraling and uh, officially they said, we're not we're not pulling the plug on it. But it's indefinitely paused as far as developments. Uh, quote, with the sale of D&D Beyond to Hasbro in the spring, it no longer made sense for us to operate in the TTRPG space. 
Period. That's Cortex saying that's it? That's Cortex saying it. Uh, but that's, okay. Since the space was a large <laughs> majority of our business, the spokesperson said, we're really proud of the Cortex products, da 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 So I don't know how what much are they more. Gonna, what are they going to do? I mean, are, are they seeing this as like some big sign that they should just get out of TTRBGs completely? I, I think this is this their exit. The, the folks at the top write themselves a check and dissolve. And go do something else. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So. Well, I mean, I, Cortex for a while, I always kind of saw as the the RPG equivalent of like um like an IDW or yes. a Dynamite in comics, right? Yes. So so they they survive on licensing, and it's get in, get out, and it's really about timing, right? It's like the restaurant business. You got to turn tables, get right. the right people in, get out fast. And so even if they wanted to stay in the TTRPG space, I think uh, He Man ship has sailed. Oh yeah, Kevin really Smith that polished that baby off with the abortion that's on Netflix. So I I don't know if they just want to use it as a convenient scapegoat, but it does it does sound pretty final. Well, their license timer might be running out too, right? And the choice might have been you can extend for X dollars and clearly X dollars wasn't worth it. Right. No, I, I I guess we'll we'll never know at this point because it, it was kind of final and they moved on with a next. So I mean, other than new art, what do you think you'd be getting from that? I mean, there are, there are plenty of systems, and we don't need to, to, to go down that hole, but there are plenty of systems you could probably use to run. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I, I Cortex is kind of a weird choice, actually. I, I don't know that there is any real benefit outside of the license for it and okay. for the art for it. Um, I was just geeked because it finally got picked up, you know? Uh, right. It just... Was was not to be, but you're absolutely right. You can hose that down in in just about any system. I thought about doing it in the now defunct Genesis system. I don't know how familiar you are with that, but I'm not. I thought that that system would have lent itself very very kindly uh, to it. But um, ah, say la vie, <laughs> say la vie. Next up for Magic the Gathering fans mm. that are on the sparkly end of the fandom. We have a solution for you because Disney is now looking to enter the collectible card game space. Interesting. I know. Yes, indeed. The king of theme parks. And I guess you could call them on top of the mountain right now for streaming TV. And Mm -hmm. somewhere further down the mountain for movies is looking to take on Magic and Pokemon. With Disney Lorcana, the trading card game. It's a family-friendly collectible trading card game. Uh, the first sets are expected to be launched in 2023. They had very little mechanical discussion or talk in, in the it's announcement. Moved, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, it's going to include what they call a modern storybook art style. And, uh, hmm. yeah, question mark? Don't yeah, know. I don't know what that means. Okay. Um, it's it's interesting that they did team up with Ravensburger, so they have a legitimate cardboard publisher behind yeah. them. Um, and you know they're Disney; they're they're big enough to pretty much have their pick. If it wasn't Ravensburger, it was going to be Asmodee. So well, and, and I think choosing a company like that instead of I don't know, Tops or whatever, you know, like it tells you where they think they're going to go with the property. Oh, absolutely they they yeah. have a target market that they 
at least think are going to hoard and collect and sleeve and do all the silly things that, that people do with their cards. I haven't played a CCG since the old days of the Decipher Star Trek and Star Wars collectible nice. card game. Hey, that um, Star Trek game was solid. No, they were both excellent. Excellent. And um, I never was drawn in to the Magic the Gathering spell. So uh, I was I was the guy that, that hung on because I had a shit ton of money in those cards. Right. <laughs> sure. They're, they're still... Less than 10 feet from me as I sit in my studio slash game room. So, uh, Well, now you can get into Disney Lorcana, which is a horrible name, by the way. Absolutely terrible name. But I don't even know what that means. Or where did they get it? Is it just because, hey, we can get Lorcana.com? Yeah, it's Lore and Arcana. It's the magic <laughs> of Disney. And Lore you can change if it offends somebody. Uh, uh, it's interesting. So in the CCG space, I have to presume, and I've been out of it for a while, but I have to presume you're chasing two market leaders. So you can either chase magic or you can chase Pokemon, or try to triangulate. And I have to presume that they're they got to be trying to design something that, you know, my seven year old can play with my seventeen year old. Right. But if I sit down to play with them, I won't be bored. I and that's a that's I a have tiny a little bit of thread. insight just from the the retail end of this. I sure I have a uh, a what's supposed to be silent, but you know I can never be silent. Interest in a mm -hmm. couple uh, friendly local gaming stores and. Uh, I don't see anything but a head-on attack of both hmm. really, really doing anything. When it comes to magic, and again, I'm speaking from an incredibly small sample, right? I'm, I'm just my personal experience. Uh, magic probably out outsells Pokemon 7 to 1. Sure. And is Pokemon even worth the attention of the Disney devil, or are they looking to target that number two spot and just outwardly not go after magic? Because I could see Pokemon trans or Pokemon players translating better to Disney Lorcana mm -hmm. players yep. than I can magic the gathering players. So. Sure. Sure. I mean, it could be a bridge project. I, I guess it depends on when they design it, how good a casual game it can be. And I don't know if there's enough market to make your money that way. Or not, and if you get but, it down yeah. to that eight to thirteen year old level, mm -hmm. it's not going to have legs. It's just not. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think eight to thirteen year olds need to be able to play it well. They just need to be able to play it right. So back in the day when I worked for Games Workshop Retail, we talked. Oh, I'm sorry. In, by the yeah, way, yeah, it was a it was it was a year of my life I won't get back. But um, <laughs> we talked a lot in training about how your first chance with the the consumer for that product was that eight to 13, right? right. Uh, eight to 13 year old boys looking for this kind of adventure stuff, modeling parents with disposable income, all that kind of stuff. Oh, thank and you then, for patting me on the back. I still know my business. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and then we, they would always say, and then we lose them, right? right? Late high school. And in college, we lose them because they got other stuff to do. Right. Um, some of them are classes. Some of them are girls, right? Sure. So they, these things draw their attention. But post-college, all the surveys and market research said that we get a lot of the people back, right? And they play the game in a different way. They're more competitive, more tournament-based. They buy the more expensive models instead of just the starter stuff. Right. And they're willing, they, they start to transform into whales. 
And see, I, right. I, I'm I'm looking at this from a different, you know, and I guess from the Games sure. Workshop perspective, you're looking at effectively the same product. I'm looking at, I, I could definitely see that segment coming back when mm-hmm. they have their first job. Girl, this is great. I've got all this money, right? Um, right. I don't have any kids. I don't have any wife. I'm going to spend it. But I see them parlaying that into a different segment. Sure. Right now. And this was this was late 90s, games, right? So it's, it's right? a different place now. Yeah. This this was you know essentially pre Catan, so like, this was before the Euro game invasion, right? So uh, everything has changed in that that segment, I guess. But yeah, that's interesting. Disney See, has such wide scope. I mean, as far as giving stuff away, including it with toys, they uh, do. Um, I don't know how far into I guess their catalog it's going to reach. Uh, mm-hmm. Are they going to focus on modern products? Are they going to have throwbacks for that audience that they're trying to recapture? Are we going right. to see Black Cauldron cards? Because that would be pretty fucking badass. That would be neat. But, well, um, and they can time it to, to promote releases. I mean, <laughs> it depends on how they want to do it. Sometimes they could use it as a loss leader to get interest in a show or a movie. And I, I, I could see that happening because they have a significant cliff that folks fell off of with Star Wars. So... Yeah. Um, I, I hmm. could also see them just branding it out as Star Wars once they have the system a little more perfected and, and trying to rope in that fandom, too. So, so what I'm hearing is that before we go to Disney World the next time, I'm going to have to get a bunch of particular cards so that my kids and my wife can have the costume characters autograph the card instead of their autograph book. Oh, what I'm hearing is just don't go to Disney, man. Well, there's that. <laughs> I, I, I'm fortunate, right? I'm not a Disney person. My wife is not a Disney person. Mm-hmm. And my son is six now. And we, we not, not like make a concerted effort. I mean, shit, he just right. watched Pinocchio today. But um, we were not those diehard ear wearing sure. folks. And we have no problem saying, you know, this is 10 to 20 grand on a vacation that we could better spend elsewhere. So you apparently stay in better hotels than I do. I, the lo- <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm spitballing this. The last time I priced it out, it was for the grand Floridian because mm-hmm. I'm snooty and um, I want to enjoy the vacation too, but sure. it, it's, <laughs> it, it was also, when the boss was pregnant with the little dude. So at least six years ago, who knows with inflation, it it might be 10 to 20 grand now to go to the park. It might. (laughs) Yeah. Cause we drove when we went. So I don't know if I'd do that again. (laughs) Oh no, 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 no. Okay. That bad too much time in a car. Just bad. Uh, back to the role-playing world. That's uh, right. <laughs> Marvel yep. is is releasing their Marvel Multiverse role-playing game in the summer of 2023, and uh, Matt Forbeck is mm-hmm. is the the designer of that. Uh, looks okay. Now, I'm a DC guy, right? So gotcha. uh, I know enough about Marvel because. I'm in sort of the culture and I hear people talk. I never like sunk into that MCU whole mm-hmm. thing that was the last 10 years. Sure. Um, I, I'm just lukewarm on it. Hey, the art's really badass. <laughs> sure. But, well, but outside yeah. of that, uh, I, I don't see what's, what's going to be the draw other than Marvel is leveraging their distribution channel 
and again, this is sort of the the greedy capitalist in me saying, mm-hmm. "Good for them! They're going to distribute it where graphic novels and comic books are sold." So they should, yeah. Um, there are they already have that whole supply chain set up. Why rock the boat? And if a game store wants to get in on it, uh, I don't know. Maybe they can hub it with their local comic book store. I, who, who knows? Who knows? But um, I, I don't know if that's going to help or hurt specifically in the tabletop role-playing space because you are putting all of your eggs in the basket that comic book fans specifically and not the MCU gamers generically are going to be buying and playing this game. Right. Well, I mean, so this is this is Marvel themselves doing it, right? Not a licensing? No, this is, this is Marvel themselves shooting so the moon on this yeah. one. I mean, but it's costing them very little, I would think. In the scheme of things, right? Oh, yeah, they have the, to pay Matt Forbeck. They have to pay an editor. Uh, they'll use the same, uh, you know, slave labor pathway right. of, uh, you know, artists and stuff to get new art if they need it. Um, or And they'll repurpose their old art from the library. So this, this it makes sense as an experiment. I, I did see that now since I read and pulled the article originally, there's now a playtest rule book out. So Yeah, it came a little while ago. I think they released it in hardback, which is really interesting. That's, but, uh, yeah. again, Marvel using what they got. So yeah. good for them yeah. on the business front. I'm, I'm lukewarm on it, although Matt Forbeck is is a good name to have at the helm. So hmm, we shall Yeah, he's see. a known quantity. I, I, didn't, I haven't read the playtest, but what I read about it, and I hope I read that accurately, is that it does better resemble the last version, not rules-wise, but tone, um, as far as it being more of a narrative-type game, right, where we're getting around and we are jointly writing a comic book story and it's less about um are we talking like marvel superheroes from back no no not all the way back okay that was the last time i read regularly and played marvel (laughs) yeah i'm trying to think who had the rights the last time let me let me tell you something cool about marvel superheroes remember everything was a chart like pages of charts love that game i when i got my first computer that was viable to produce something on i made a printable wheel that that oh. simplified the chart, and I yep. I was the bee's knees when I had that That's wheel. Classic. I, I'll have nice. to dig it out if I can find it. I'm sure it's in with my Marvel superheroes stuff that I still have because I'm insane, and I'll tweet it out if I can find it. So yeah, uh, that was a great game, and I think that it was more of a classic game in the sense that you were encouraged to create your own characters and have their own adventures. Whereas the most recent version was a little less of that, right? right? It was a little more about like, hey, pick a canon character to play through Annihilation. Right, that's what that's what I saw. You had like this pool of characters and right. you you sort of marched them through a, effectively a comic arc. So interesting, right. Right. interesting, interesting. Uh, again, Marvel, uh, some of the guys at my longtime regular group will probably pick it up so I don't have to, and that's a good thing. That way you can test it out. Yeah. yeah. And last but not least, I don't know how much of a board game guy you are. How big? I appreciate them. I'm not like a deep Euro game or strategy guy. Uh, okay. I have I have a favorite, I guess now I can call it, series of games. And that's the Arkham Files games. Oh. And, you know, Arkham Horror and Unfathomable and Eldritch Horror and all of those great old gods coming up to eat the world. Um, so this one took me by surprise, but... One of the co-designers of the newest Arkham Horror uh, is teaming up with the artist from Witcher 3 okay. and releasing an upcoming board game that will be in the fantasy world of Atios. 
Um, it's it's called. Should I recognize that? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I sure didn't. <laughs> okay. I, I think it's probably a a construct of the 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 great creative minds that are that are behind the okay. game. Um, there's very little other than a Kickstarter preview of the game, but I threw it in because fuck hail Cthulhu, Cthulhu Fagan. So, um, you know, I, it's a nod to the appreciation of the work. There's incredibly limited information out on it. It's called the Kinfire Chronicles Night's Fall. And, uh, We'll we'll see where it goes from there, but that, yeah, my I mean, friend, if you trust the designer and you know the art's going to be pretty cool, and it gets it's worth rolling the dice on. the The art is is a little anime ish for for my t- preferences. Okay, but I'm willing to look past that just because the lead developer and uh, a, a handful of the other developers that are not you know hobby known names, but I know of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a pretty solid list, so. That's probably another three hundred bucks I'll never get back from Kickstarter. So uh, <laughs> the the base pledge for the game is ninety nine bucks, and as you know, you can never just pledge the base pledge. So no, you got to get all the other nonsense. Uh, of course, and that, my friend, is the news this week. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's it wasn't as bad as some of the other ones. Last week we closed the news with cute monsters in D anD D. That the oh. yeah the Sparkle Trolls released a list of cute okay. monsters that they wanted to bang in in D anD D. So I can't believe that they would exclude anybody. That's horrible. <laughs> hey, the bullet, the fucking land shark was on the list because you know that's I, what I, mean, I think of when I think cute. So I don't it, know. I feel like the land shark knows what he's doing. He'd it, take care of you. Hey, maybe maybe he does. Who, the, who knows? The he, land shark is a considerate lover. <laughs> he, he could use mud in ways you'd never imagined. <laughs> Uh, you, you get a little break to digest the news. Um, Bert and I, in preparation for his vacation, uh, took a liberty and pre-recorded a segment with a friend of the OSR, uh, DM Blackwell, and he's going to be on in, oh, in, cool. in this pre-recorded segment to talk about his experience and his little creation that he's trying to get a little money and motivation behind at, at a con that by the time this aired, the con will be over and mm-hmm. uh, he'll be back on the show in, in the eminent future. Who knows when to talk about how it went, but we, you know, he's going to talk about his system, the, the sort of method and madness behind it and, and where he really wants to go with it. So Neat. Uh, I will catch you on the flip side of this little break. All right. All right. Hey, through the magic of, hey, we pre-recorded this segment. Bert is back with us. Hey, Bert. Hey, Ryan. Good to uh, be back. I, I know. I hope you're enjoying your week off right now. You'll have to tell me about it when you're really back. Uh, <laughs> what a fucking world we live in, huh? Hey, I, I've got some good news for you, Bert. We have a guest with us right now. Always a good thing. Always a fantastic thing, and uh, a lot of our listeners, I have a feeling, are going to know him. It is uh, Todd Ritzma, DM Blackwell, uh, also one of the co-authors right now of a tentatively titled project called Horde Wars. Todd, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, good to see you, Ryan and Bert. Um, yeah, we're 
my, Nate and I are really excited um, to to get to be demoing our product at a convention this next weekend. I think we'll see it. We'll see how that goes. Um, we uh, yeah, we, we've been working on this project for about three years. Uh, we've been in active playtesting for two and have over 800 hours with groups of three to seven players um, or put another way. Um, we have play tested our game, um, more than most modern RPGs put out by professional companies. Well, professional companies, air quotes, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> no, Todd, I think it, it, it's spectacular. And, uh, we were talking a little off the air before, uh, before you came on. And I told you, I think one of the most fascinating things is just seeing the, you know, one of the things we always talk about, and if you've listened to the show, you know, we talk to all of our content creators just about their process and how things got to where they're at. And I think it is so interesting when I look through the the materials that you sent us, um, just because we've never actually seen a product in this point in development. Usually we get a very polished press kit or we get a, you know, oftentimes they'll just send us a copy of the, the PDF of the actual product. And we get to sort of see it. And as I read through the material that you sent over, I can, I can really, in some cases, see the deliberate laying out of it. So it's an interesting experience for us, no doubt. What do you think, Bert? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think we've seen anything even though it's been in development and place testing, I don't think we've seen materials sort of, it, it almost feels like we're there from almost like the beginning where, rather than seeing sort of a polished finish when it comes to something like that. Right. So, so take us back in time then. So t tell us where the germ of the idea started. Tom. Well, um, basically uh, my, my friend and I, uh, we have been uh, playing RPGs together for, oh, probably 20 years or so. And uh, so we've known each other for quite a while. Played a number of different games uh, over the years. Uh, when our group started playing 5th edition D&D, &D, we, we ran a few campaigns. Um, I should say our groups, because between us, we probably play pretty actively with 20 or 30 different gamers um, in, on different days and stuff. But... Um, he and I both kind of reached the same conclusion. We felt there were some some problems with that with that particular edition of D anD. d There were definite no, improvements uh. as well. <laughs> uh, there were improvements as well, but we the problems with fifth edition. Uh, yeah. Specifically, <laughs> I'm sorry. So, come on, you know me. I, I've got to take the specifically, shot. Specifically, uh, one of the issues that we noticed was that character creation took too long. Actually, um. Secondly, combat tended to get bogged down, especially in higher level play. Um, uh, and really the last thing was your character could be good at something on paper, but because dice have no memory, you actually would be bad at it on occasion and often when it mattered. And that's not ideal. Like if you're playing a, a, like a veteran of many wars who's a paladin or something, you shouldn't miss an attack on, uh, you know, random guard. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one of those things <laughs> or you shouldn't consistently yes. miss if you have one of those dice nights. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so we set about, you know, designing our own game. Now we actually are designing three different games 
all of which we have been playtesting over the last four years. This is simply the one that we are planning to market first. But we do have two other ones that we're also working on, a superhero and a sci-fi one. Um, uh, and that's partly because it helped us think about game rules from a different perspective. Um, right. And partly because... And that those are very ambitious genres to tackle too because they're sort of the bee's knees right now for non-D&D mainstream stuff. Oh yeah. So oh, the silly part was I actually uh I wrote the uh the rules for the space game um like half a decade ago and they functioned like to to build and pilot and to, like have, you know, we we did te- we, we we've done testing with it where we've had like um what was it? We had 25 different ships uh, and eight different real humans around the table, and the battle took an hour. Yeah, that's it. That's crazy. Yeah. That's... I, like, and and I'm sorry. Like, I don't know if that's the reaction you wanted, yeah. but when I when I hear that, I I just I, I'm like that that mechanically sounds like it's going to be a two and a half hour call. Oh, I know it does sound like that. We were we were we were pleasantly surprised. Two and a half to three minutes a ship is you know, per ship in the battle is. Pretty impressive for a time frame. And and let me just say, congratulations for actually creating a game with ships and having rules on how the ships work. Thank you. Yeah, no, that... <laughs> My spelljammer shot well, of the night. Wasn't Dun-dun-dun. the hard part, so. really, because Nate's a physicist, and I, um, when we decided to work on that project, I actually listened to uh, the entirety of, I think, I forget if it was Harvard or Stanford, uh, put out a full astronomy... Um, uh, uh, class. So I, I just audited the class basically online. That's that's super cool. That's that's awesome. So so back to so, to Horde so for Wars, Horde Wars, you, which you is guys... our the one we developed the most and the one we really we like the genre the most. Um, we um, we wanted you to be able to play heroes that both were at risk of death and could fight large numbers of opponents. Um, as well as the improvements I specifically mentioned as relative to 5th edition D&D. Uh, one of the ways we did that is um, how we wrote our spells. So you two, have you have you guys played uh, 5e at all? Uh, we're embarrassed to admit it, but sure. yes. <laughs> have you played like, um, older editions of D&D? Oh, sure. of course. Sure. Yes. So, to same AD&D, same so. here, man. So how does Fireball work? You tell me. That's an area of effect spell with a reflex save. Right. Right. So one of the ways that this slows down combat is that um, you're dealing with multiple reflex saves, so multiple dice rolls, and often with different modifiers on those dice rolls, depending on who's in the area of the fireball, or lightning bolt, or any other area effect. Um, what our game does is change that into an attack roll uh, on the part of the caster, um, still affecting an area, and all targets in the area, that one attack is compared to their defense. If you hit, you do you do full damage. If you miss, you do half. I am going to clap, 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 clap. Let me tell you that I think that that mechanic specifically, when it it, it sort of sort of germinated in fourth edition, what was so much better from a player perspective too, because you as the aggressor had a target you hit the target and uh it took the bricks out of the briefcase and a lot of the time now i'm not saying that fourth edition combats were were short by any means no, there were other 
egregious errors that were made, but that is one of the few beauties that that system did. So I am so thrilled to hear that you adopted that because it really does two things. One, if you are the DM that is running that game, it streamlines your process. And two, as a character, it gives you that sort of mini instant gratification of a win, right? Oh, I, 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 I was successful. And, I made this target. So I, I'm real. I'm a fan of that. Mechanic. But and, and I don't know if you caught it or not, because it's an attack, we allow you to crit. Right. Oh, of course. You know, yeah. yeah. What if you're the Same monster? Oh, they can wait, crit on wait, you. wait, 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 wait. No, 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 just, I, I can't help myself tonight. I am just digging on Watsy <laughs> left that, and right. Um, what no, that does I, I, is it also speeds up combat. And the biggest complaint that you hear is, oh, my God, we had a three-hour combat. No, I, 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 I'm totally on board. Bert, what are you thinking? Streamlining combat and making it easier kind of on both sides is something, you know, especially for large-scale combat. Like, normally when you're dealing with a military campaign or, you know, a battlefield full of enemies – it can turn into a slog fest, and this seems like it cuts all of that out, which is a really great sort of um, change in function. You're not going to spend three hours playing one skirmish, whereas you know the you know whereas with other systems, other times I've played that, like oh, there's a hundred enemies. Well, we're going to be here till tomorrow. You know? No, I, I I think it's good all around. Not a problem. I was going to tell Go you ahead. guys that. Um, Last month, I ran a test game with four four guys, three people, uh, four people who had never played my game, um, picked up sample characters, and in a three hour session, killed. And it was a single in in game day, killed forty four goblins and one ogre. That's a lot of goblins. <laughs> that is a large group of goblins, <laughs> and, and it was one, two, three, four. It was five separate combats. And lots of goblin. No, that that and that is a a praise and a credit to the system. Be just just walking in, picking up a character, and going. No, that that is awesome. Yeah. So you said you're going to a con. Uh, what what's your approach here? Well, tell basically, us, tell we're going to be strategy. on the convention floor, offering uh, free play sessions, and then separately, I'm going to be over at the tables, also offering scheduled play sessions in the convention's uh, events. Um, our goal is to get as many people as possible to try awesome. our game because I think mechanically it is very strong. We've got some pretty cool um, things that really let you customize your character. One of which is, I don't know if you saw that or not, um, our game is not is kind of class-based, um, but basically you get two careers and you get the benefits of both. You get the starting functions of both uh, careers. So you could be, for example... Um, a mercenary red wizard, in which case you would be um, pretty good with like, you, you like you do penetrating shots with crossbows. You could do lunge attacks with melee weapons and you could throw a fireball around or cast haste. Um, it lets you build a fairly complex character very quickly because you're just picking two components and sticking them together. Each of which basically have uh, three, three abilities it's giving you. 
I was going to say, it's it's effectively yeah. a menu system, right? I, I'd like a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and yeah. boom, I've got my character, and it, it's laid out for me. I don't have to go in and dig through pages and pages and pages of stuff just to, to get the base character. Um, I'll tell you a story. Our one group uh, recently transitioned into a fantasy campaign, and, you know... Because each character had to dig into the class to get their class features and their abilities and their scores and and everything, you are absolutely right. Streamlining character creation, especially when you just want to sit down and play, is something that I think every system needs, but not every system pays attention to. And it sounds like you gave this oh, a yeah. great deal of we, attention. Um we did a test with people who hadn't tried our game before. Again, we, we really want to see how that works. So, but uh, when we, when we tried that with people who'd never played with, I believe it was two copies of our rules, one printed, one electronic. Um, we got seven players through character creation in like 45 minutes, which is a feat in and of itself. Bert, uh, what were we looking at? We were looking at five characters, right? Three of which were, very familiar with the system and that was still two hours yeah i was gonna say an hour and a half to two hours easy i think if everyone had had a copy we probably would have been like 15 minutes hats off to you my man that is some some true true respect coming your way and i can wish you nothing but the best as we move into the con what what it is that we're what we're what we're selling our goal here is to offer you a um, 350 to 400 page book, half of which is Monsters and Treasure, and the rest is the game rules. Um, we want that to be a single that's, volume, that's so you don't have to waste your time and money on a bunch of random supplements. We might do a detailed setting book. We've got a really cool setting, but we're going to include the basic elements in our core game. Since we're so early... Let sure. Ryan give his two cents, and you can do what you will with this if you hate it. Split it into two volumes. Not for say, sell it as a set, but split it into two volumes so that there is the Treasure and Monsters volume and so that there is the Rules volume. I, I just think from a usability standpoint, the way I look at it is, A, it takes some of the intimidation factor away because when you look at a 300-page book, you're looking at a 300-page book. And and B, it, it, from a usability standpoint, uh, just would, in my mind, at my table as DM, I'm sort of the forever DM. That's more palatable to me. Anyway, like I said, just just my two cents, right? Uh, Um, um, We are taking great pains in our in our in our preliminary layout to make sure you don't have to flip around in our book. See, see, you're 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 Uh you're already on the same track. We don't we don't have on. We are running short on time. Bert, final thoughts. No, I mean, I'm I'm hoping that you guys get picked up by uh, you know, by a big producer. Um, what are the plans if you do not? Are you looking at crowdfunding? Are you looking at um, another way to release the materials? We're looking at crowdfunding. To- um, I talked to an artist uh, two weeks ago. We negotiated on a price. And um, essentially, if we don't get picked up by uh, one of the bigger guys in the next month or so, um, we're going to start getting the money together to pay him to do all the art for our book. And then we're going to try and recoup that off the um, 
off of like a Kickstarter and Indiegogo um, crowdfunding uh, effort. I would prefer to license the game um, because there's obviously a bunch of logistical challenges. It's stuff we can do. It's just um, I uh, I would rather let someone else handle it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Fair no, enough. of course. And the licensing it allows a, a team to come in and use it as the bones and very solid bones yeah. for whatever they want to create too. So that, you know, I, I, I like that idea all the way around. Well, Todd, thanks for stopping by. We definitely want an update. We'll, we'll slot it in with the news next week and you can let us know how things went. And like I said, you know, if we get a, a box of Cubans in, <laughs> in it dropped on my front door, I know it went really, really well. So, <laughs> so um, but all of our best to you. Thanks for stopping by. We definitely appreciate it. And, you know, if things don't go L Powerball Lotto for you and you do end up kickstarting, let us know and come back on once the Kickstarter is closing in. And we will oh, yeah. be I would, sure to I would let all to. of the Nerd Cognito Nation know about it. So, uh, again, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to stop in uh, another time or two whenever, whenever you want to invite me. Yeah, no, even if it's just to hang out and go through some of the terrible news stories that we do every week, you're 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 always more than welcome. Just you know where to get me. I'll be making fun of <laughs> miserable sparkle trolls on Twitter in my spare time. But um, <laughs> I, uh, y- yep. you know, <laughs> you know where to find me. Thanks for stopping by, my man. Yeah, an interesting little system, for sure. Um, I wish him all the best of luck, and I really want to touch base with him. And hopefully someone with a big, fat wallet came up and said, hey, would like to license this? And uh, <laughs> good for him. So, <laughs> Well, Eric, it's been a true pleasure this week. I cannot thank you enough. Again, uh, my humble, humble thanks and a, a 10,000 thanks from Bert because that fucking slacker, he might be in the cabin in the middle of the woods without internet access, but he could have found a way to make it here tonight. Oh, uh, but when Bert returns, he'll be all recharged and refreshed from playing, I don't know, I don't railroad know. games with crayons in the woods. Or in the dark. I, well, he took a shit ton of, of board games with him, which is kind of anti my mantra. We talked about it last week. Just real quick, what do you think? Take games on vacation, yay or nay? Ah, uh, I avoid it. Yeah. My my wife actually went to an event a couple weeks ago, a LARP event, that she knew she wasn't going to spend all the time doing the LARP, so they brought board games and stuff, but they hardly touched them. Right, and, but, and again, um, that's a gaming-specific thing. This was, right. hey, my wife and this other couple, we rented this uh, ritzy-ditzy cabin in the woods, and we're going to go and unwind. Eh, I'm going to stick to the yeah. hot tub in the bar. <laughs> so... Well, thank you again, Eric. I cannot, well, thank you like for I said, thank you enough for, for coming in. Uh, my name is Ryan David. I was joined by Eric Jensen. And we thank you and look forward to talking at you next week. Nerd!